This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts Podcast with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, he became an overnight success after 20 years when he became the Middle Eastern correspondent on The Daily Show. Welcome, Asif Manvi. Hey, everyone. I'm here today with Asif Manvi. Asif became a household name when he became the Middle East correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. He was named one of Filmmakers Magazine's 25 Filmmakers to Watch. He received an Obie Award for his critically acclaimed one-man show, Sakina's Restaurant, and he was nominated for a Lucille Lortel Award for his performance in the Pulitzer Prize-winning play, Disgraced, at Lincoln Center. Other stage credits include Homebody Kabul, Suburbia, and the Broadway revival of Oklahoma. He has appeared in tons of films, some of which are... Mother's Day, Million Dollar Arm, The Internship, Premium Rush, The Last Airbender, Spider-Man 2, and The Mystic Masseur. His television credits include 
Tanner on Tanner, Sex in the City, Madam Secretary, Person of Interest, and The Sopranos. He also served as an actor-writer-producer on the HBO show The Brink. He created the series Halal in the Family, which can be seen on Funny or Die. He wrote an incredible book called No Land's Man. It's a bestseller. He's an actor, writer, comedian, and humanitarian. Welcome, Asif Manvi. Where is that guy? I, that so, guy sounds really interesting. Isn't he amazing? <laughs> First of all... A lot of that stuff is made up. Is it? No. It's, you sent I it. So. I, I know. I sent, I think I sent you my made-up resume. Oh. <laughs> That's like when you first start acting and you're like, what? Let's yeah. see. Juggling. Special skills. <laughs> Kissing. <laughs> no. No. I'm really good mm-hmm. at it. Well, I did have sneezing on my resume as a special skill early on. Just it's special skills like French, dialects, French, Russian. I didn't, couldn't do any of those. but And then it was like... Uh, special at the end, it was like sneezing. I want to hear it right now. <coughs> wow! There you go. <laughs> Did you get a lot of work? I like how I still do the ah. <coughs> it's quite. It's sort of like vaudevillian. I, I got so much work from that. Um, yes, uh, I did get. I did get a job. I think I got a job. Um, <laughs> I know it's. I know it's in how a, you got on this pepper, podcast. In a today. Pepper commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I could. You know what? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it was. It was like. I'm sure that. I'm sure it must have paid off. I can't imagine why I would have kept it on there for ten years if it wasn't something that was paying off for me. Well, laziness. It's true. I just didn't have access to. You didn't a have whiteout. <laughs> All right, there are things that people probably think they know about you, and then there are things that people don't yet know about you, and that's what today is about. Yeah. Your story begins in a small town in India, (laughs) quite literally. Well, not a small town. Actually, a big city, actually. Okay. One of the biggest. Let's go back. Your story begins. (laughs) I even have heard of that, and I'm from Teaneck. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like that's why we bonded cause because Tinek and Mumbai are, are so similar. Exactly that's the true. same. So they you mean the same thing. Were born in Mumbai. Was mm. your sister born in in India as well? No, my sister was born in England. So how old were you when you moved to England? I was uh, one. Do you remember? Yeah, it was really hard because it was hard to like. Because <laughs> what you wanted it was to, to say, it was hard to fill out all the like immigration forms and but things. You were a writer even then, but I was determined. You know. Uh, In fact, wasn't the move your idea? It was. Little known fact. My at parents, one years old. Yeah, one years old, I was like, I'm going to England. And my parents were like, why would you do that? I'm like, because it's great. It's England. It's, it's great. great. Have you had fish and chips? <laughs> They're amazing. So I went to the north of England and just moved there. Then my parents followed like several years later. You sent money back. <laughs> Got a job. <laughs> All right. So when you were one, mm. your family moved to London. Yes. Was no, it London? No, no, Bradford. Mm, don't know it. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Sorry. Nope. Not very many people do. It is a small mining town. Did you have relatives, friends? Did they just blindly, you were one, so you just, they're like, Asif, choose. Just choose. Just put your finger (laughs) on this map, and I think I drooled on Bradford. But when you really think about it. And I did. You've done this. (laughs) Like, if I even imagine leaving a country to go to another country. It's hard the, for you to what, leave Teaneck. I, and I did. <laughs> right. Why did they leave? Oh, why did they leave in- yes, India? And oh, their family because, and their friends yes, with a little a baby. Good, that's a good question. My dad emigrated twice based on an ad in the paper. Both times. Okay. 
So, um, so the first time, the first time when he left India to go to the UK, my dad got a job in the textile industry, color chemist at Bradford University. Bradford has huge textile mills, and they're known for their wool manufacturing and their coal mining. That's okay. the two industries: wool, coal mining, wool and coal mining. So he had a choice. Right. I'm so glad he, he chose yeah. wool. <laughs> Your life would be totally different. And my dad has been a coal miner. Totally. Oh yes. I would have been. I would have made a movie called Coal Miner's Son. We you all get, get it. it. We all get it. Um, we'll talk about where the stand-up <laughs> career is going oh, oh. in a minute. <laughs> Hang on, I'm here all week. It, my stand-up career is, is very long because I have to explain every joke. Okay. Um, and then we lived there until I was uh, 16, and then we moved to America when I was in junior high. No, in high school. So that's why you, you have such an interesting accent, like. I what do you mean? I thought my accent mine. I don't mean Your parents, I imagine, still have Indian accents. Yes, they do. Uh, well, they did. Have, they become. Did they become? Did they have British accents? When yeah, you they were become. Living? They be. You know, they, my 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 parents. Um, it was kind of like a, a weird a, a amalgam, mishmash. mishmash of Indian, British. You know, I remember when we first came to America. And my mother would still use British terms uh-huh. because they'd been anglicized. So like in England, for example, an ice cream is served. In America, it's an ice cream cone. Right. In England, it's called an ice cream cornet. Uh-huh. So my mother would actually ask for a cornet right. when she went to How'd that go? Robbins. How'd that go for her? And the little guy behind the kind of pimple face. Nope. He was like a cornet. And like, and I was like, Mom, that's an instrument here. Like, that's not like a but cornet. But that's even, you know, like I'm married to someone from the Midwest. And yeah. he, the other day, he asked our son, like, where's the bubbler in your school? I was like, the bubbler? What's the bubbler? I don't... Water fountain. <gasps> So what that's called? So even we have communication. Even we. Wow. Like, forget your, your sweet mom and the cornet and all of that. This yeah. was like, this is just, you know, from Wisconsin to wow. Brooklyn. And you've yeah. remained together. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Amazing. I mean, that's... we don't we don't talk a lot. Right. We just <laughs> Clearly. try. <laughs> Clearly. We just try. But like in all those years, I was like, how, if, would I still have married him if I knew really? he said bubbler? Bubbler. I've never even heard. I know people from the Midwest and I've never heard that term. Do you think he's like gaslighting me? I think he's me? making that up, <laughs> bubbler, because he just made up a word. He did. He's like, "Oh, it's a bubbler," and then you're like, "What does that mean?" He's like, eh, "It's a Midwest it's thing." A, it's like <laughs> he's just made it up. That's not a Midwest. I don't think oh that's true. My God. <laughs> you know what? I love him, yeah. and it, everything is great. It's and thank great. you for asking. <laughs> it's perfect. I cannot imagine being you were 16. Yeah. Moving to Florida. Yeah, Tampa, Florida. Tampa, Florida. Not just not the cool part of Florida. No. Was there a big Indian community where you moved to? No, again. Well, the thing, the irony is that Bradford, England, actually has a very big South Asian mm-hmm. community. And my dad had like a corner shop and it was like, you know, it's a big Pakistani Indian community. So he there. stopped working for the university. Yeah, he did. He and then he, op- he opened up a store. Okay. Did you um, get to work in the store? It was named after me. It's called Asif's News Agency. Many years later, I went back to England, many years after we had left, and I went back there, and it was now a butcher. I was, like, taking pictures of it outside, and it was a Pakistani butcher, like a halal butcher place. And the guy comes out because he's, because you know, this was after, like, September 11th. And he was like, you know, he's like, why are you taking pictures of my shop? Yeah. And he was very upset. Who are you? Like, what are you doing? And so I said, no, no, no. I said, this used to be my dad's. Uh, store and it was named after me 
the original sign was still up there. It had been covered up now with a different sign, but underneath it, there was still the Asif's news agency sign. So he knew. He was like, oh, you're Asif. And then he showed him, like, look at my card. Yeah, I was like, look, I'm on the, the Daily, Daily Show. Show. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, great. Then he took me inside and he was like, introduced me to everyone. And he was like, this is the boy whose name was on the... This is my daughter. Yeah. And then, <laughs> anyway, I ended up traveling around by myself, like going to all of my old, like I went to my house, my school, my, the, my dad's shop. Like it was just a kind of a, a crazy trip going back and just being like, oh, yeah, this was real. Like, it was weird because it was like, it felt like a fantasy. Like, it felt like a gauzy kind of, like, memory sort of thing. And then going back there and sort of being like, oh, right, I did go to this school. Like, I did go. This was, you know, it was all. Were you a happy kid? I, I think that as a kid, I was always a performer very early. I mean, I wanted to be an actor very early on. I, you know, I saw this movie called um, Bugsy Malone, and that was the movie. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. I watched that movie, and Jodie Foster's got bail. It was like that thing. What I'm happened like, oh to Jodie Foster? Well, yeah, never, never, I mean, never saw she her She had again. promise. Yes. But the thing was, that I, so that, and then I remember I made like this, um, you know, you have cassette tapes back in the day, and I made a cassette tape thing, and it was called The Man-Eating Ostrich, and it was a whole, like, sort of end of the world kind of I did all the sound effects I did all the characters and I like talked into this like cassette player I'm sure like uh, lots of people who ended up in this business have done this when they were kids no (laughs) so like I was like oh my god play all the kind of the explosions and the thing and all the sound effects and I would do all this thing and my parents were so impressed with this thing because you know whatever they're my parents and I was 11 so I just remember that they would play it for people when they would come over. Oh, that's and, so sweet. And then it was really embarrassing because I, you know, they were clearly like, just thought it was the greatest thing. And it was like 40 minutes long. They'd put it in and then they would just sit there <laughs> and it would just play and you'd see their guests start to sort of like, for like the first five minutes or 10 minutes, they'd be kind of like, right, oh, that's charming. Cute. It's charming. Yeah. And then after a while it was like, oh, they're actually going to make us listen to the whole mm. thing. And it would you could see people sort of get glassy eyed and like I knew my audience. You just needed a good editor. I'm surprised they kept the friends they did because Well, you did have to move. <laughs> we did. You did emigrate twice. Right. So we were upsetting a lot of people. The whole town, like when you guys in <laughs> your like, little oh, town. Oh my god. You guys the, the monies left. Like, and take that like, cassette tape with you for sure. <laughs> oh Don't god. forget you the forgot cassette tape. <laughs> I'm sure the people in America are going to be really excited to hear the man-eating ostrich. Well, who has the last (laughs) laugh now, my friend? Did you get to act right away in your high school? I did high school theater. I I went into the drama, you know, whatever, the drama program. Department. Drama department. That's right. Mm -hmm. It was called the drama department. It wasn't, there wasn't really a department. It was was just like a class over in the auditorium. That sort of saved me. I still had, I did have a lot of the identity outsiderness, the Amer, you know, like the little English brown English boy in an American in school Tampa. in Florida yeah. of all places. There was a lot of redneckiness mm. and oh, sexy! I love that. I know, and That's so my of, thing. There was a lot of surferness, and there was also like kind of just it was a very white environment that I was. I think it was me and one other Indian kid in my entire school. So like everybody in my school was. White, except a handful of black kids who basically just... So there were five people of color. Right. It was a whole other world. And, and, and thank God that I had acting 
and drama department and the drama doing school plays and all that stuff because that I think sort of uh, became my my people, as it were. But now I have this British thing going on. I would get cast as like the Lord of the Manor a lot. Right. Well, well you had a British accent. If I had had more game, as it were, yeah. I probably would have you could have used it more. Used it been. more to my benefit. I was too much of a dork mm -hmm. to realize what I was, what I had for the first few years. Because then eventually, well, you've certainly it, made up for it, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, somehow you made it out of this teeny town. <laughs> First professional job, which was at Disney as a street performer with a, a troupe called Streetmosphere. But meanwhile, on the other side of the lot, there was a little show being created called the New Mickey Mouse Club oh. with a very young Britney Spears and Justin, and Justin Timberlake. I mean, Timberlake, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. Do you they know were, those? Did you meet them? I met them. I didn't know they were, you know, they were little kids, but yeah. they would come by and they would watch us rehearsing sometimes. Justin Timberlake would be like, someday, Asif. Someday. Tell I me I your tricks. I will be in Streetmosphere. <laughs> I did actually meet Justin Timberlake when he came on as a guest on The Daily Show and completely forgot to say to him, like, hey, you know, when you were 11... I meant something I to you. I meant something to you. I was your hero. Yeah. I want to talk about The Daily Show. Oh, right. That changed thing. yeah. things a lot for you. Changed from, my life. From being a working actor to a famous person who was doing something unprecedented. Right. And you'll talk about this more, but I have a question for you. Do you think that you would be as fearless about sharing your views publicly mm -hmm. had you not been on that show? I was not a particularly political actor, whatever that means, Yeah. before The Daily Show. I was a working actor. I basically was just... I was doing, you know, I had a nice little career yes. going on, like regional theater and yes. plays and, and getting and parts on TV parts shows TV and, and movies and whatever. Yeah. And it was all very good. And then I got this audition for The Daily Show and I got it. And uh, it's actually all in my book. You can read about oh, it. Oh, I've read it. I you can have, tell the yeah. entire story okay, right good. now. All right, good, good. You were very sad about a girlfriend. Yes. You were, oh, you I think do. I you might know it. which you girlfriend do. it is. I think you do, yes. Because uh, I think I know her and she was your girlfriend when we worked together. Right, that's right. And she was engaged. Yes. And you were blue. And I was blue and I was writing this letter and then I got this call. To her. To her. Even though she was engaged. I know. Maybe it was, married. It was sad. It was sad. It kind of Did you send it? I did send it, mm, but yeah. I, I sent it for me. Sure. You know, I had to do it. You sent it to yourself. Uh, I sent it to <laughs> And I have it. I have the letter right here. I sent here. it to you. I got just it. Just to like read, and then you never forwarded it. I didn't. I think that it gave me a kind of, um, can I swear on here? Yes. Yeah, I gave me a kind of. This is of, never going to mm. go anywhere. This is just you and me talking. Don't worry I about it. I think I gave it a sort of, it, it gave my audition, and this is something for all you young actors out there, when you don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. You often give your best performance. You know this, right? How do you, you manufacture have... that? Yes, that's exactly. The, that's right? the trick. So how do you get that? Like, I don't give a fuck when you cannot pay your rent, right? Without and this job, exactly. So it's like a it... question of like, how do you like not come in there desperate and needy, which is what you are, yeah, and pretend, you know. But but luckily, because of this situation where I was writing this letter and you feeling blue. I really didn't give a fuck. Were you a fan? Did you watch The Daily yeah, Show? Yeah, 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 I did. Okay. I did. But I didn't think in for one instance that I was going to get this part. Right. I was doing it as like a sort of like way to like get out of my head, mm. you know? Get and off that park bench. Get off that, exactly. So I was like, I'm just going to go In front of her house. <laughs> Before the cops came. 
How do you know that? Um, I read the book. Um, so anyway, I go down there and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll just do this, whatever. It'll be another audition. And then I booked it, like right there. And then I was on the show. And then my life kind of changed overnight. Tell us how. Well, John Stewart, lovely man. Is he all that? He is great. I love John. And is he I, all that? No, he is. <laughs> I mean. Let's keep editing that. Is he all that? Is he all that? Is he all that? Um, Just between you and me. Between you and me. Is he all? No, he's, he was, look, I owe the whole thing to him. He was like, I'm hiring you. You're on the show. This is it. You're on tonight. And I was on that night. And what was the first thing you had to do? It was about the uh, war in um, the Hezbollah-Israeli war in the Middle East. And it was like this very, I think it was still, I'm still, I still feel like it was one of the best pieces I ever did on the show. It was one of those, it was written, you know, before I got there. Right. And it was just kind of powerful and Pointed. I'm, so I'm that's naive. The, is there right. a teleprompter? So like, how did you do that? Thing. I go show up there and they give me this script. They said, okay, so you'll be going in and reading with John. And I get this script and it's like three pages and it's all me. And I'm just like, holy shit. So I start like trying to memorize. Right. And I'm r- desperately trying to learn this because I'm like, you know, this is what I do and this is, I'm an actor. And then about a few minutes later, she comes in, the girl comes in and she says, uh, what are you doing? And, I, and she says, oh, they're ready to see you. And I said, oh, can I have a couple more minutes because I'm just trying to get this memorized. And she said, oh, no, you don't need to memorize it. There's a teleprompter. And at that point, I was just like, oh, a teleprompter. This is, what I the? got it. And I threw, I just threw the script over my shoulder, marched in. Caution to the wind. <laughs> like I was yeah. like, threw my scarf over my left shoulder. <laughs> yes. And proceeded to just do my best Stephen Colbert impression. And, and it got, and you the, got job. Me the job. And I, and then I was on the show that night. And no, I didn't have a chance to tell anybody that I was going to be on the show. But suddenly, like, my phone rings and people are like, were you? It was a guy who looks a lot like, you know, mm. that thing. And then the very next day, the LA Times did a huge article about, like, the fact that there was a brown guy on The Daily Show. Because I was the first non-Caucasian It was unprecedented for them, yeah. So it was like, there was an article in the LA Times saying... Who's the new brown guy on The Daily Show? And then John actually was like, hey, why don't you come back? And at the time I was like... You mean it was meant to be a one-off? It was meant to be a one-off. And then John said, hey, you know, I like you. Just whenever you're free, come back. And I was like, you know, I'm a real actor. I'm doing like television shows. Teleprompters. I don't really read from teleprompters. Ted Knight. Yeah. (laughs) No. So I was like... A little sort of like whatever. And then I, he just had me come back and I keep coming back and doing stuff. And then finally, after a few months of that, which I realized that after the fact was kind of probably my audition right. period. Thank God you didn't know. I know. And then I would, uh, then he offered me a contract and then, you know, the rest was history. So did you write your own stuff or did they always have writers for you? What was your part in the process? It was a, so the way it worked was that usually the times when we did those chats where it was sort of in front of a green screen, like reporting from right. Baghdad or whatever. Right. Uh, those were usually written. The writers would write those. Now, we would get involved with those in the sort of rewrite phase. Can I ask a really, like, fanny kind yeah. of question as a big fan? So when you have, like, the four of you sort of in the squares all yeah. kind of, you know, mm-hmm. I'm at the Bernie Sanders yeah, yeah, campaign. Right. Are you all looking at each other? Are yeah, you all, all right next to? Yeah, we're okay. all in different parts okay. of the studio. Thank yeah. you. Um, we're all in uh, what, what I used to call John Stewart's spit zone. So we're just like is right he a big spitter? 
I think he probably would like to say he is. Mm-hmm. Keep, um, <laughs> you're not saying it. You're not saying anything he wouldn't say. No, right, no. No, but we would we would all sort of be like, like you know, on different sides of his desk. Like there'll be two on one side and two on the other side. But anyway, so I, uh, yeah, so you get involved in the sort of rewrite to kind find of your phase. voice in it. Yeah, like you get you get called into the rewrite room, and then they would have the whole s- script projected up onto the wall, and then John would be going through it with the writers, and then you'd insert whatever it is you thought was funny or whatever. So he was pretty involved. Oh, absolutely, in everything. Yeah, absolutely. The thing where the, the correspondents really got to do our stuff and sort of show our muscle was when we did field pieces. Like we'd go out into the field and mm-hmm. we'd interview people. That's when we would work with a field producer on trying to like come up with questions and jokes and things. And then you'd have to come up with things in the, on the fly in the moment. Like, And so that was really the most fun for us because that was when we got to do use our sort of improv comedy mm-hmm. chops or whatever, you know. So how long were you on the show with him? Nine years. And you're still doing it in between I, I stuff? Don't, I mean, not, you're still on the website. I know. I still technically work there. Um, Are you still under contract? No. No longer under contract. I left uh, my contract in 2014. For the for the Estee Lauder. For the Estee Lauder The contract. face of Estee Lauder. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. That was amazing. It wasn't my face. It was Estee just my, Lauder they just for use men. my abs. They just use my abs. Um <laughs> No, but I was uh, I was do- I did this show called The Brink on HBO, and yes. I left to go do that. Did you create that show? No, but I was a writer on it, and also a co-star. How did that all happen? That was a crazy thing where I auditioned for Jay Roach. Went to L.A. attested, got the part, shot the pilot, and then the pilot got picked up to series, and then I get this call from Roberta Benabib. And Jay Roach. And they're like, we have a crazy idea. We need another writer in the writer's room. Would you be willing to pick up your life and come out to L.A. and spend the next four months writing on this HBO show? And I was like, wait, the show that I'm on? Yeah. I was like, that's like, you know. Is is my being on it contingent? (laughs) I was like, it's kind of like having the fox in the hen house. Like, I'm like, you know, I think that my character should have a few more lines. Maybe like a song. Does he sing? Now, you've never written for television, a series series, before. And I told them that. They were like, do you want to be a writer on the show? And I was like, no, I have to warn you. You know, I've never written for a television show before. And they were like, no, no, we know that. And I was like, and... I'm a really bad writer. Mm. And it was almost like... Look at these letters. I wrote my ex. (laughs) Terrible. Have you read my book? I was like, why am I talking myself about it? But I was so... I was kind of nervous that they were going to like have expectations of me that I clearly... But then they were like, no, listen, we're going to... Everything will be vetted and we're not going to let you dangle out there on your own with a script that you can't write. And I actually ended up writing episode seven of the first season. That was my favorite one. It was Episode seven. (laughs) Do you still audition? All the time. I definitely will say that, thank goodness, knock on, what is this? It's not wood. It's Ikea, so I believe it's particle board. It's okay. That works. (laughs) I do get offers more than I did back in the day. So do you have um, a a humiliating one that has stuck with you all these many years? So I had this audition for a snake charmer in a commercial, and I showed up. There was this weird moment where they were like, you know, we want you to sort of do the snake charmer thing. And I was doing it. And then they said, can you do it with um, an Indian accent? And I was like, OK, do that with the Indian accent. And then they said, 
Do you have a turban? <laughs> First it was, do you actually know how to snake charm? And I wanted the job so bad that I said, Whatever I don't, young actor says. I don't, but I'm Indian, so it might be in my DNA. And I could probably just, you know, and I, and they laughed. They thought that was funny. And I was being completely serious. Like, right. no, no, seriously, guys, don't like, I might be able to do this. And so I did the thing. And then they said, do you own a turban? And I said, no. And I got, I was, and I was kind of irritated. And I said, no, because when you own a turban, you're usually wearing it. You don't sort of leave home without it, you know? And they thought that was really funny, but it was also kind of like, you could tell that there was like they complete don't understand anything. cultural insensitivity right. going that, on. What? Oh. And they were like, oh no, we're just asking everyone because the client really, you know, we don't know anyone who knows the tire turban. So we need you to like, we just want to know if you actually have like, your own. Like the budget, it's a small budget. Yes, exactly. And so we're really looking for people to bring their own turbans. Right. And it was like, just like the most humiliating. And I remember sort of doing this thing and then the accent and the turban and the thing and then thinking like, oh my God, do I really want to do this? And then I kind of wanted the job, but I also didn't want the job because I thought this is going to be humiliating. And then they ended up giving it to a white guy anyway. When Red Bull first came on the market in America, yeah. I was doing a lot of voiceovers at the time, thus my podcasting career. Yeah, and I was for a moment the voice of Red Bull and the mm -hmm. tagline was Red Bull gives you wings. Yeah, I remember. And at first when they were first kind of trying out the product here, rather than doing all new commercials, they brought over these animated commercials they had done in Germany, mm -hmm. and they were just looking for funny, creative people to kind of watch the, the animated commercial and figure out English words that could match the mouth movements of, like, the frog. Right, right. You know, and I'd come up with, like, single male frog looking for a white, like, just anything I could think of. And so I'm doing it, and I'm in this little booth, and it's exhausting, like, it's it's meticulous work mm. watching this film, you know, moment after moment and trying to match it. And all of a sudden, um, the client is in the room, the Red Bull guys. And I heard this, Juden. I was like, what? They said what? <laughs> Juden. And I was like, oh my God, this German client is saying Juden. Does he not know that like I can hear him? Oh and it turns out he was just saying do it again. <laughs> do it again. But yeah, that's like a Woody Allen bit. Like getting really hot. Okay, like what do I do? And this is how it's going to end. Like I'm like thinking oh like steam God. is coming into the booth. So it's not exactly the same thing. But God, we want to act so badly, right, yeah. and we'll like pretend that the lampshade is a turban. <laughs> I have a turban, sure, right here, and yes. I of course I can snare. I'm Indian. Yes, we all do it. Do you remember what Simon, the commercial was for? I think it was like for a bank. I don't even know why they actually had it. A guy with a, mm -hmm. with a uh, uh, you know, the snake charmer? It was a bank for racists. Exactly. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough oh, thank for being you so, here. This was so fun. It was so fun. Will you come back? No. I'm Alana Levine. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review our show in the iTunes show page. Little Known Facts is recorded at the Hangar Studios in New York City. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.